0: So today on Stuff, this episode, we are going to talk to a very good friend of mine, Maggie Tillman. I kind of want to tell a funny story about how Maggie and I originally met. I went to an event associated with Hospice de Rhone, which is a big wine event here in the Paso Robles area where I'm recording this. And it was a bowling night. And Maggie and I met bowling and everybody told us that we were going to be really good friends because we both went to NYU and we both were living um, in the general kind of South El Pomar, El Pomar area of Paso, which clearly means we're going to be good friends, right? But when I gave her a ride home, my iPod skipped to a Nelly song and Maggie was just bowled over and was like, oh my gosh. And since then, thanks to Nelly. We've been good friends. Um, And I find Maggie to be probably one of the smartest people I know. And I mean that super in a very genuine way. I mean, she's versed in academics. I know for fun. She listens to history podcasts. She does a few. I'm not sure if she's doing great courses yet. But she's always staying up on um, staying in touch with historical um, topics. She listens to a ton of pop culture podcasts and for Christ's sake, she reads books. So I love speaking, talking to her about anything. And today I really wanted to highlight um, Maggie's kind of background in linguistics and what she studied in school and just kind of talk about where we are in terms of language right now. And I think it's a really, really interesting conversation. So without further ado, we're gonna chat with Maggie. Today I wanted to interview a good friend of mine, Maggie Tillman. Mostly just because I enjoy talking with her, but she also has a lot to say about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) But not really, you're just a good conversationalist.
1: Um, Maggie, did you want to do a quick introduction of yourself? I would love to. Okay. I am Maggie Tillman. I grew up moving around a lot. I went to NYU and studied linguistics, and I now work in wine, which makes no sense at all. Yeah. So can we talk about linguistics? Because we never talk about it. I know. I would actually, like, love to. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) I never get to talk about it. Right. And I love it. All right. So
0: talk a little bit about your area of study, like, what you studied, and then kind of what your general interests are in terms of linguistics. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So going to college, I wanted a major that would facilitate me going abroad as often as possible. And so something language-related made sense. And as it turns out, I just am a word nerd person. So linguistics, usually people say, oh, so do you speak a bunch of languages? And I don't. I can function in Spanish, and my English is this. Mm -hmm. We're going to call it passable. (laughs) And so linguistics is the study of language. So there's different concentrations within linguistics, and it's things like syntax, which is basically diagramming sentences, or morphology, which is the study of uh, sort of the smallest units of language. So if you have the word dog... And you pluralize it to dogs. That s is a morpheme, so it's its own little unit that can move around and change. Ish, In, ish. exactly. Ish. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what I loved the most. So things like syntax and morphology and phonetics are. You go home and you do problem sets, and it's a lot more sciencey than people picture. And of course, what I loved was the much like wishy-washier end of linguistics. So I always loved sociolinguistics, and the stuff I loved the most was like the class. My favorite classes were about pidgin and creole languages, weirdly, Uh yeah, which are so interesting. And it's a quasi-scientific way of looking at things like colonialism and. So give us like a quick wiki wiki. A wiki, a, a wiki def? yeah, a wiki def of <laughs> pigeon and creole. So, a pigeon language is a. It's totally functional. So, typically, what happens is a colonial power moves in somewhere, and the existing community creates a. It's not a fully formed language that is a mashup of whatever the colonial language is. So, traditionally, it's English, French, Portuguese with whatever their native language is. And a pidgin is sort of the first iteration of that. Mm-hmm. A Creole language is, by definition, they're a native speaker, so it's a second generation. So a parent who is alive during a colonization speaks a pidgin, their child who grows up speaking pidgin as their first language so they're native speakers, then it, be, it transitions into a Creole language, so at that point it's fully formed.
0: So, not to like skip ahead or anything, but would you say that we have that in California in terms of Spanish? I mean like I've seen, I'm a Spanish speaker passable, Yeah. <laughs> but you know I've always, um, I didn't learn Spanish in California per se, I learned it abroad, and I learned a lot of it in New York. Um, and. Just all over the world, and I would say that Cal- there's a distinction in California Spanish, right? And there's like Spanglish. Would that be Would that fall under one of these kinds of umbrellas?
1: I am sure we could make an argument about this, and I'm sure there are academic papers that exist about it. Yeah, well, just, yeah. So.
0: Like for example, like like there's words that aren't Spanish words like California mm-hmm. Mexicans say, mm-hmm. like lanche exactly it's not a word it's not a word (laughs) but it's like but it's like literally on billboards it's on everything food trucks and stuff exactly right so I'm just like for context like to me that would make sense that that would be considered one of those
1: I I think it would okay yeah I think I could absolutely write a very convincing paper saying that it's at the very least a pigeon sure Mm because it's 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 that like mashing together of two languages and it's it comes out of like you need to be able to function Mm -hmm. and it I love those in sort of California Mexican Spanish. The, I'm trying to think of other examples. There's a bunch of those, yeah, where, like, lunch is literally lonche.
0: Lonche is a bit – that was one that just growing up was always kind of
1: a – was, like, kind of a funny one. I
0: mean, even, like, kind of, like um, – I'm going to – we'll think of one here yeah.
1: shortly. And it – you can – as a non-native Spanish speaker, this might be totally wrong – but I have definitely just made up words like "goglear" AR to Google, oh, right. which has been understood. Right. So I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but it's...
0: Oh, I'm sure.
1: It Yeah. But that's, what's, that's why language is so delightful.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and so that's kind of like leads up to... Um, <clears throat> well, that's actually one of the questions I had for you was kind of like language being delightful, language always morphing. Like you were talking about your interest in... Morph, the morphine part of it, Mm -hmm. and one of the big questions I had for you was the validity of the OED, yeah. But in the OED being the Oxford English Dictionary, right? And I think we've even talked about this previously like a a word will get added to it, and people are in a livid like, (laughs) and I don't even, I mean, I don't even know
1: what has been added recently. That's like they just about a month ago, they I think it was Merriam Webster. And I feel like Merriam-Webster tries to be a little... Woke is not the word, but they try to be a little more current than the OED. And I I, I was looking at one, and they added the word swole. Oh, and yeah, wait, I, okay. the yeah. example... The thing that killed me about it was the example sentence was a quotation from TMZ.
0: <laughs> but see, I mean, is that... Are we... We, like, people guffaw at that,
1: I guess is the oh, word. For, I'm sure there are people who are very annoyed about it. I think I, I have mixed feelings about it. Okay, because, I want to hear them, yeah. Like, I love how you can just make stuff up, and if, you know, it's sort through of truth by repeated assertion, if you just say it's real enough times, all of a sudden people believe you. Mm-hmm. And with language, it's a perfect example of it. It's also, when you think of... The people who write the dictionary, I picture, like, nerds, you know, and just thinking of them using a word like swole makes me laugh out loud.
0: Like, I just got back from the gym, I'm feeling so swole. Exactly.
1: <laughs> just don't. Just don't say that. It's it's totally, it's valid,
0: clearly. Well, it looks like MacGyver got put into the OED.
1: To MacGyver something. Yes, it
0: is a verb. Really? It is Exactly. Transitive. To construct, fix, or modify something in an improvised, inventive way, typically by making use of whatever items are at hand.
1: And I love that.
0: Yeah, and what's funny about that is, like, what's... Like, the reference is, like, what, 70s, 80s reference? Mm-hmm. Like, someone who is, like, a teenager or a Gen Z person right now has no idea that it MacGyver was, was actually a TV mm-hmm. show and... You know, so I guess, like, my my question is, is, like, does that matter, right?
1: I think it doesn't. I think to the people in the generation who know the real root, it matters, but that's going to disappear real quick. Mm -hmm. And I assume it's not capitalized. No, it is. Really? Yeah, it is. Fascinating. Fascinating. I
0: I just always, like, am fascinated by that when it comes out and, like, people are just like, what? You can't put swole's not a word. And then you think, like... But it is. We're using it in a modern day lexicon. We're using it every day. Everybody knows what it means. My dad's using it. So at a certain point, do we just like we just throw our hands in the air and we're like, sure, it's we use it. Yeah. So to that point, what about this whole idea of like I, we I like I said the adding the s on the end dogs the morphing of the words. This whole idea of shortening words and how that's become. Pretty normal, right? Yeah. To say like, oh, perf, delish. Yes. yes. Um, and it and at one point, does that stick or does that leave? Like, are there fads within like linguistics? You know what I mean? That like kind of stick. And so what? How?
1: What? Do, what's the timeline on this? That I don't know. I think That is a lovely question. And there, it's weird. The ones that do stick.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, delicious actually stuck. Delicious. Mean,
1: yeah. I mean, that might be in Merriam-Webster now. Who knows? I mean, Let's give it a goog go- <laughs> Yeah. Well,
0: now people are saying um, search it up because more people, it doesn't look like delicious actually. Oh, it's an urban dictionary.
1: Yeah, that's. uh. I don't think urban dictionary counts. (laughs) I I would say that it does not count.
0: Right, but then. Well,
1: maybe it does. But I go there a lot of times for slang. Anytime I don't know, the urban dictionary is sort of stop number one when it's not legit seeming. Right. But my other thing too is like any
0: user-generated content is always questionable, right? Mm-hmm. Like as much as I love Wikipedia and I like like kind of it's my first stop, I still have to remember that we we just wrote a page on Amy Adams for all I know,
1: right? It's also the world we live in though. It's I mean Google ranks it number one, it's in the Google little like the cutout thing, the little pop-out. Wikipedia is always the reference. Right. And so I guess we're pretending like it's real now?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, at what point, like, have we, for lack of better words, kind of, like, bastardized, like, re- the reference on language and we just are kind of going with it? Like, at what point, you know, I'm the sure... Day, actually, to day we-, we
1: definitely have. Yeah, I cannot fathom. It's been a minute since I was in college, but I'm sure Wikipedia is not a legitimate source. No, no, no. <laughs>
0: but even, like, the whole kind of bastardization of the language, do you think that, like linguistic academics at this point are kind of throwing their hands in the air are they embracing it or is there probably a big tug of war happening
1: there I expect there's a big tug of war happening and I expect that it's been happening forever
0: well remember what happened with Ebonics
1: like Ebonics thanks
0: airplane (laughs) yeah Yeah, like ebonics was like trying to be taught in schools and like it was there was academic discourse about Ebonics and then it just kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, and that's one of the things that is so interesting, particularly with sociolinguistics, is it with something like Ebonics, race is so tied to it mm-hmm. and it's in a racist way basically, and so calling something not legitimate, it's tied up with so many other societal factors. And sometimes that kills it.
0: Right. And it, just for those that aren't familiar with ebonics, <laughs> uh, it's uh, dis- uh, defined in the dictionary. Oh, love that. As an American black English regarded as a language in its own right rather than as a
1: dialect of, the, of standard English. Well, That's legit. Huh. Like,
0: yeah. Do we have any others like that in the United States do you know of?
1: I don't know. We must. Hmm. All right. So, I mean, there's certainly a million dialects, but... Well,
0: I would argue that the Spanglish thing... Yeah. I think I'm calling it. I think it's... It's done. It's official. (laughs) Well, I think we'll see more of that kind of in... um, I think we will see it more in academic discourse. And for all we know, it could be already happening within, like, Chicano studies programs and things like that. Yeah. You know? Um, So, speaking of dialects, do you have a favorite American dialect?
1: I don't have a specific favorite, but there are phonetic markers that I think are hilarious. Like so, on the East Coast, it's because I went to college in New York. It I've always been mystified. So, growing up, I always said I'm standing in line. Oh yeah. Standing in line, and on the East Coast they say I'm standing online. Uh huh. Yeah. And I always pictured a physic like a line on the floor that everyone was standing on. And of course that's not, there's not a line on the floor in the post office, that's just the phrase. Right. And so there are these things that to me, it makes no sense, but it, that is what people say. Right. That's a big one. I went,
0: When I moved back east, that was the same one where I was like, oh, online. Yeah. I guess we're saying that. And even like pronunciations of things. The thing that drove me crazy on the east coast was, it didn't drive me crazy, but it was one of those things where it's was like, am I saying things wrong, Where's Nevada? Yes. Like I grew up in California and we went to Nevada. Yeah. And I remember, and it was, uh, there used to be a bar on 3rd Avenue in the NYU zone called Nevada Smith's.
1: I don't know if it was... Yikes. <laughs> did you go there? No. Was, I don't
0: know if it was that across... from stretch of 3rd Avenue, though. Yeah, oh. yeah, it was across from 3rd North. For those of you that went to NYU, you're probably, like, holding your heart right now. The but 2nd episode Or second. your head. Mm-hmm. But um, everybody... That was from the East Coast. Called it Nevada Smiths. <laughs> drove me bananas. <laughs> and I know that's like it's like an accent thing, you know? Maybe yeah, Colorado. But I mean, it's 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 one of those things. I mean, and they always laugh at the way that I said like
1: crayon or like theater or like. There know. are so many of those. I remember I met a guy in college whose name is Ben,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we were sitting in Washington Square Park. And I said, what's your name? And he goes, Bin. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> how do you like how do you spell that? Like B-I-N? He was like, no, no, my name's Ben. Oh. And I was like, no, it's but it's Ben. I mean, it's your name, so you're saying it correctly, but like, also it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really funny. And then like, you know, the I haven't
0: it, I haven't spent much time in the South, but that dialect to me, you know, sometimes uh, when I watch something with like heavy Louisiana accent, honestly, I put on subtitles. Oh, same. Yeah. 100%. I, I I, but then I think, like, does people do that when they watch California people? I mean, the, the one thing about Californians that I've always been accused of as well, when it's true, we up talk everything. Like, yeah. I'm going to the store. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't a question. Yeah.
1: But, like, going to the store? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I always thought that was kind of funny, too. And
1: that's been my favorite
0: thing that people always call me out on on the East Coast. So
1: the And there are gendered ones, too, like Vocal Fry. Oh, boy. People get very upset about Vocal Fry. And Busy Phillips talks about it all the time on oh. her Instagram stories. Well, she has it. Yes, she does. And people tell her a lot. And it, it's that thing where you're just like, uh. Well,
0: according to the dictionary. Yeah, I love it. Vocal Fry is a way of speaking in which the voice is very low-pitched and has a characteristic rough or creaking sound. What do you mean? So my friend actually made a movie about it. I want to watch it's it. It's called Pizza Face. <laughs> <laughs> shout out, shout out to Justin and Jamie, Pizza Face. Um, and it's about Vocal Fry? Yeah, it's actually about Vocal Fry and Snapchat filters. Gonna leave it at that. Great. Um, Full-length feature film? No, it's a sh- an animated short. I am in. Yeah, Pizza Face. I should interview them. But yes. Yeah, but they really tackle vocal fry in that. Well, because they, it's like waitresses that work at a store <laughs> that
1: talk like this. But I. So that's a. Is that an affectation? It can be. I mean, it's something we can turn on if we feel like it. But a, for plenty of people, they do it and don't realize they're doing it.
0: And is that something that? Is that part of, like, language that's learned through, like, media or, like, surroundings? Is that, is that something that people Probably talk about? Probably both.
1: Yes. There are so many of those that are, you know you're pinpointing a group of people, mm-hmm. and it is a very easy and lazy tool to make fun of someone or sort of disparage someone.
0: In terms of their way of speaking?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's coded. It's bigger than that. hmm if a man were to do that at me, to make fun of me, I would be incensed on a level that would go beyond just, like, him calling me a bitch or something, you know? Because mm-hmm. it, it's not on purpose all the, Like, it's just part of how you communicate. Right, it's part though. of, like,
0: your cohort, right? Yeah. It's, like, how people talk within your circles, and, mm-hmm. like, I notice sometimes when I go to, after I come back from a long stint in New York, like, I have a little bit more of, like, that kind of speak, you know? Um... I always actually thought what's funny about New York was riding the train. Yes. Like like when people are like, I'm going to get on the train. I'm going to get on the train. And for like anyone on the West Coast, getting on the train is like a a Western movie. Like it's like the Wells Fargo wagon's coming and you're getting on the train and it's going somewhere. And And it's it's going to take forever. (laughs) And it's the
1: least practical option. Yeah. No, the train
0: in New York is just the subway. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. And I kind of love it. Mm hmm. Um so yeah that's I mean all of this is vocal fry man it's such a people get very
1: really yeah there are people who hate it
0: well it is kind of nails on a chalkboard for people and i think i think a lot of it is tied to um, the kardashians which is a trigger for a lot of people yeah, because they they have pioneered vocal fry i think they really own that space in a way they, don't they they do and i think it drives a lot of people crazy because i think for a lot of women including myself when you speak with vocal fry it kind of uh, indicates to me that you are probably not as intellectual as i as i would like you to be mm-hmm. and i think that and as you
1: have the capacity to be. Right.
0: Like, I feel it's... It's it's part of it is kind of acting like a bimbo a little bit. It's probably like a iteration of Valley Girl, right? I think so, yeah. Right. Like, so Valley Girl... There might not be as many people talking like that anymore, but...
1: Yeah. The swing was to vocal fry. Yeah. Although the word like is... We used to make fun of that as a Valley <laughs> Girl thing, and it's just a oh, speech now.
0: Yeah, now people say it, like, all the time. Yeah. Um... And then I had kind of a broader sweeping question about kind of like how linguistics shape your worldview. I mean, do they for people, you know, at all? Or
1: Yes. Language is so... It's so tied with identity. You know, if you look at the deaf and hard of hearing community, it's... Sign language is a fully formed in every way. It's a linguistically sound language it's a fully formed language and that's a community that is incredibly passionate about how much people don't take it seriously kind of hmm. and I think it works both ways where experience shapes language and language shapes experience and that's what I always loved about the Creole languages is it was so I mean there are examples of Creoles where like we use base 10 for math but there are examples of creole languages where it's base 3 or something that to us seems totally illogical and it's because of a it's based on the currency mm-hmm. the way and so it's tied to day-to-day life in a way that is inextricable and super interesting. What about um
0: we talked about the bastardization of kind of the language and I I know like I'm I'm fine and positive with saying delish and perf and you know, totes. totes, whatever, uh, whatevs, whatevs, but it is, but what about, I know that grammar is not, a, it's, it is a part of linguistics and like at a certain point, like I get a little prickly when it comes to bastardizing yes. grammar and I wonder like, is that something that is going to fall by
1: the wayside? And then maybe that's a larger like education question, right? It's, and just the way we communicate now with texting and email it's you're trying to be fast and as long as people understand what you're saying you're achieving what you're setting out to do so does that make it bad you know does that make it wrong it one of the ones my dad always talks about is he's convinced adverbs are just disappearing from american english yeah so instead of saying i'm really hot i'm real hot it's real hot out yeah and it just the L-Y is just slowly disappearing. And it's now, it's acceptable to end sentences with prepositions now, which... Where's that at? I I was told in a meeting. I have not confirmed it. (laughs) Yeah. And when I write it, when I speak, I end sentences and preposition often. But when I write is when I sort of take pause. Mm. But you feel like sort of a douchebag being like... You know, of whom, blah, blah, blah. I
0: don't, you know, because I feel like it's that moment for me to take pause and, like, be correct. And if my English is, if my thoughts are succinct and my writing is succinct, then, like, I am communicating at 100%. Yeah. But the minute that, like, I well, I would never type you are for, like, "your." Yeah. But, like... <laughs> the
1: letters you are no
0: god no i would never do that but i wouldn't either i mean i hope i never get to that point but that's almost because i'm i am kind of a purist when it comes
1: to that get off my lawn (laughs) don't you use (laughs)
0: yeah and and like even like sometimes i put myself in check with contractions Mm -hmm. that's a big one but my biggest one lately is invite is
1: not a noun yeah yeah that's a funny one so I drive that's becoming a noun I drive I my husband
0: crazy because I'm constantly like oh you mean the invitation <laughs> <laughs> like it's not an invite like I got did you get the invite for the wedding uh, I was invited to the wedding I have uh, an invitation <laughs> so I caught. so just yeah. everyone out there anyone that's listening to this I'm I just I can't do not Don't send ever. Brandy an invite no send me a invitation. Uh So there's things like that where I put myself in check and I would hope that people kind of use language in that respect to kind of like pull back and like formulate great thoughts because I feel like the more we abbreviate and the more we kind of let grammar slide, the more we're not thinking, you know, we're
1: thinking in these like tweets, right? Yes. I was just going to say Twitter is also an interesting contributor to language And so much of media is, even printed media, it's basically a blog post. Mm -hmm. And like you and I were talking to my sister about a month ago about abortion. Casual. Casual. (laughs) Super cash. Just over over salads, (laughs) you know? And afterwards, Katie, I think she sent it to both of us. She sent us a link to a a Twitter thread by a woman. And when she emailed it to her, she said somehow this, it just feels more digestible this way. So it was probably a 25-tweet thread. It was mm-hmm. long. Long, as in the world of Twitter, that's right. long. And it, I was more willing to engage with that because it's a topic I feel very passionately about. And I have very intense opinions. And somehow that made it, I could address it. And right. rather I was rather like, willing than to digest that Format. Format more than had it just been written in two paragraphs. I would have been like, nope, glaze over, check out. Well, and
0: I think that's a larger kind of conversation about how the internet is also ruining the written word in that way. Because so much stuff. There's a podcast we both listen to, Who Weekly, where one of the hosts always says, so that's just written by bots. Yes. And I actually used to be a bot writer for hire you know because you get given the list of words you get given the list of headlines and there you are as a writer trying to like piecemeal together a thought but you're not doing it from a conceptual thesis-based writing thing you're doing it from here is here are all the pieces here are the keywords yeah here are the keywords you put this together so that it'll jump to the top of google right Mm -hmm. and and i think that's another conversation about like Interesting. Yeah, how, like... what's well,
1: sort of the commoditization of language and right. how to weaponize it for financial gain, yeah. almost.
0: <laughs> no, it's totally true. And then using words because they're popular, right? Yeah. Not words because they're correct. That's true. I mean, for instance, I worked in the cannabis industry, right? And everyone's trying to call it cannabis. Cannabis. Guess what the number one searched word is in that industry? Weed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... You're trying to commodify... You're trying to, like, kind of swing this pendulum in the lexicon of this industry, right? But that's not what the people want. Yeah. Give the people what they want. That's so funny. Yeah, so there's a lot of things like that, I think, that we will still see kind of evolving or devolving Mm -hmm. over, over the next 10 to 20 years, right?
1: Yeah. And in politics, too, it's super interesting. In... During the Clinton administration was when the Rwanda genocide was happening. And there's a speech that's famous where this was him... It was Clinton, right? <laughs> Am I being embarrassing? No, I no, so. I mean, whatever. Yeah. I think it's Clinton. Where he, ta- he addressed it in an, in, a, in an official capacity, but he did not use the word genocide. Oh. And that is when the phrase ethnic cleansing became a thing. Oh. And... So there are all of these, so I I love to, I always read the State of the Union, I watch it, and then I also read it, because for me, reading it, I catch that stuff better, Mm -hmm. but there's all of this sort of linguistic gymnastics going on to... Not say. Yeah, to sort of dog whistle at a thing, but not actually say it, or talk around it in some sort of legal strategic way that mm-hmm. well i think
0: toxic, ma- to- yeah. toxic ma- masculinity is one that i'm where it's like no you're, you're being a jerk yeah <laughs> like you're being an asshole yeah like it's not toxic masculinity like, you're be better yeah you're be better dude <laughs> like, be better yeah yeah it's it's really interesting and i love talking with you about this okay i Kind of one more question about linguistics because we could go on and on. Oh, yeah. But what are your thoughts about. Um, so, my cousin and his boyfriend and I in New York, um, we were obsessed with
1: Esperanto. Oh, <laughs> incredible. Do you know what the word for firestorm is in Esperanto? No. Firestormo. <laughs> Okay, and obviously we were
0: obsessed, like in this mildly ironic way. Uh Also, their friend, uh, their good friend, owned a restaurant on Avenue C called Esperanto. Did you ever go there? It was on scene,
1: like 10th, and they served like pan. I thought there was a coffee shop on Bleecker called Esperanto. Well, Esperanto was a
0: a restaurant that we Uh, went (laughs) to in the East Village. R.I.P.
1: I think it's still there. I'm actually Uh, looking it up. I hope
0: so. Um, but they served, like, Brazilian food. They served... Um, oh, my gosh. Is it still there? Good for them. Oh, uh, yeah, they open at 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to New York next month. I'm going to walk back into Esperanto. Uh, Their friend owned it, owns it. And, um, so, but Esperanto, as you and I know and most people know, is it's a fake language. Yeah, it's like a manufactured language. That was... The idea was to connect all of us mm-hmm. around the world with one language and it was kind of a hybrid of everything yes yeah and I just always wonder like will we ever get there will we ever get to a place where there is one I mean what do you think do you think what is is there kind of any language right now that
1: bonds everyone internationally or uh English probably if you're gonna if you're not a native English speaker and you want to travel and mm. you're going to learn one thing English is probably what you're going to pick and you're going
0: to probably pick a more kind of I call it like media English yeah right like yeah. you learn it from TV movies yes. music pop culture right
1: definitely a factor yeah I I cannot imagine a day when we all are like eh my language is dumb ditch it we all speak Esperanto oh, now that's, that's what we always loved about the concept where it was like we're just we're just going to Flip this over. English, some English. Forget it. (laughs) We're all going to start over. (laughs) There is a full-length feature film in the horror category um, starring William Shatner. And it is called... Oh, my God. I can't remember what it's called. But it is entirely filmed in Esperanto. Oh. It is horrible in in a very mystery science theater three thousand kind of way. Oh, we should get into that. Like I really want them to do it on how to just get made or something. It's
0: Esperanto movie there's like there's like
1: Are there a bunch now? Throw William Shatner in there too.
0: Yeah. Oh, it comes right up. Shatner. Incubus. Incubus,
1: yes! It's a black and white horror film from 1966. That's how I know the word
0: for Uh, I only know it from the restaurant and my cousin's Mm -hmm. and his boyfriend just like literally crying, laughing all the time. And we'd be
1: like, like firestormo. Oh, it's amazing. I highly recommend watching at least 10 minutes of something in Esperanto because the whole time, probably every 10th word you're like, that was English. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that
0: was the whole point. Was that it was going to draw in yes. different, like it was going to be a little bit of Portuguese and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And so mm-hmm. it was all welcoming. It's
1: inclusive. Yeah, it was an inclusive, inclusive language. That was the idea. Yeah. So funny. Well, I think that we're, we've really covered a lot we've of ground. we kind of covered all those bases. I
0: know. This was really great because I really, what I enjoyed about this is I, we literally don't talk about this enough. I know.
1: It's so interesting. Well,
0: and I feel like um, a lot of people know you through wine. Yeah. And we talk about wine a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to really tap into. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. So yeah. thank you. Thank and, you. And um, you're going to be back. I can't wait. We have like, I already, I have like five other like specific like, topics to talk to I you about. I can't wait.
1: But what are, yeah. What are we going to talk about next time? We'll talk about media consumption. Oh,
0: Like a media diet is dumb. what I want to talk about. All right. All right. I need to go on a media cleanse, probably. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that because maybe you'll do it and you'll come back and we'll talk about your cleanse. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Maggie. Well, that conversation was nothing short of delightful. I think we covered a lot of ground. And I will say after we turned the mic off and we stopped recording, we kind of had a laugh and said, you know, any... Doctor of linguistics or linguistics academic would probably roll their eyes at us and be like, oh, these bitches. Mm. But anyway, we had a really great time talking. And I encourage you to follow um, the winery that Maggie, uh, her family owns, and she runs Alta Kalina Wine, uh, Alta Kalina Winery. I think it's just at Alta Kalina uh, on Instagram. I apologize if I'm not getting that right, but, you know... Um, and then I really also encourage you guys to watch Pizza Face. Um, Pizza Face, like as I said, was produced, um, created by two good friends of mine. You can find that just by googling Pizza Face or typing that into YouTube. And I believe it's on um, Snacks Times channel, S N A X T I M E. And I encourage you to follow Snacks Time. Um, so thanks so much for listening and. Thanks again for thinking about language and how we speak. And we'll talk to you later on this uh, podcast.